So every week we go to the scriptures because it's there that the person and work of Jesus is most clearly revealed. So our sermon text this week is from Acts 6, 1 through 7, and chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. But first, please pray with me. Father, by your Spirit, please remove any distractions um, that um, we, are, we might be faced with. Lord, we pray that you be reveal more of who you are through your Scripture this morning, that you might be glorified, we might know you better, so that we might glorify and magnify your name in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. From Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. <clears throat> but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, <coughs> a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now from Acts 19, verses 8 through 10. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, uh, to Sojourn. My name is Dodds. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm very glad to be with you this morning. Um, every year, all of the Sojourn congregations throughout the city of Houston begin an annual sermon series that we call Life Together. And this year, we are taking three weeks to cover the five key values that we share as a multi-congregational church. Last week, we looked at family and local ministry. And this week, we'll talk about two more, saturation and simplicity. But this morning, I, I want to begin a, a bit differently than I normally do. Um, I, I want to talk about where we are and, and what we have faced as a church and a people uh, these last few years. 2020 and, and 2021 aren't, aren't years that we will forget about, seeing as we're still in one of them. <laughs> um, but it's been a, a very significant few years. Um, just, just to take us on a little bit of just 
a hall of, of memory, even though it's, it's not that long ago and it's still a part of our world. Um, a pandemic and its effects changed, changed our whole world last March. Um, George Floyd, social tensions, racial inequality and political unrest left us divided with, with so many thoughts and questions. COVID separated us and isolated us during a time when we really needed to be together. <laughs> All normal rhythms of meeting and living came to a halt. Social and political tensions eroded all of our trust and left us hurting and wondering which, which voices to listen to, who to trust. And sickness and death were made more real for us. Now, I know that 2021 has definitely been different than 2020, but we're, we're still carrying all of those things, still part of the world that we're living in. And, and for some, for some, truly, I mean, we could say this for all of us, but, but in particular for some, like COVID has been terrible on all, on all levels. For others, COVID has created conditions that that actually made room for some wonderful things. Some of our home lives and relationships have, have returned or improved. Some have worsened or just been put on hold. We've met new neighbors and, and we've seen longtime neighbors move due to job changes. And how many people during the last couple, during the last 18 months have changed careers and changed jobs and gone? Maybe it's even been a while since we've really seen our neighbors and had them at our tables. And, I, and all of this, along with all that our church has experienced internally. I mean, all of this is, it's cultivated, it's, it's provoked a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions. We've just been, in a way, we've just been living under a blanket of fear since last March, and maybe in a way, like, more blankets have continued to sort of fall in different layers. And the weight and time of that has, has a cumulative effect. Plus, in the, in the middle of all these goings-on, we have felt the pressure to have a, pro, a proper and thoughtful engagement and stance on, on so many things. Just a lot. And in our experiences, we're, we're split. We're split in a, maybe even in a few different ways. Some of us desperately want to move on. And some of us have felt so hurt that we don't want to move forward until those things have been addressed. Perhaps, we'll, perhaps all of us are ready to move on, whatever that means, in, in just in one way or another. But and we may have distinct ideas on how that should happen or what will make it happen. Some of us have been provoked to live by embodying a spirit of just being careful, cautious, and, and deferential. Others of us have lived by taking on life fully and being at peace with, with risks of all kinds. We've, we've all taken turns looking for or to a, a grounded, trustworthy source to help guide us as to what life might look like. We've looked to science and the government and news sources and leaders and, and Joe Rogan, okay? 
But the issue is that when, we, when faced with a dilemma that has provoked so much in us, we, we, we admit, we see, we've responded in fear. We're afraid of what will happen if we don't get out there and live, but we're also afraid of what will happen if we get out there and live. <laughs> Our text tells us about a dilemma that the church faced in the book of Acts. So let's, let's read it again together. Let's just read it again. And I'll read just from this first portion. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. A distribution where they would collect everything, lay it before the apostles' feet so that no one had need, right? And the, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, Permaeus, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, so this is the early church living in the real world, and a lot is going on. The, the church is in, a, is in a transition, probably a lot of transitions, so much going on, and, and a need arises in the body. A group within the church sees that amidst all that's going on, the church is struggling to be hospitable, and the widows in this body are being neglected. And they bring that complaint to the leadership of the church. The body brings its needs to the body it brings its needs to the leaders of the body. And the apostles gather the entire congregation and say the ministry of the word is important. We can't abandon that, but these widows must be served. And they gather other servants. They empower other leaders. They devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And it pleases the congregation. People see this is good. The church flourished. People came to know the Lord. Obedience was wrought in the body. And so this leads me to ask this morning, how, how do we meet the needs of this body? How are the needs of the body at Sojourn, the church at Sojourn Heights, how are they being neglected? In a similar way, how do these needs in chapter 6 highlight our needs as a congregation. We know, maybe we know what neglected widows looks like in this context amidst the daily distribution. But what do people being neglected look like in our context? In the midst of a pandemic and social unrest, in the midst of a dismissal of one of our pastors, the effects of a season where we've been pulled away from one another when we really need to talk to one another. 
what would the Hellenists of our body say? Well, can I be honest? This is what I think they'd say. I'm not saying that I'm right in every moment of this, but I think this is what they would say. Our body feels fragmented. We just dismissed one of our pastors and we're hurting, hurting and we're wondering what's next. Our parish leaders are not well cared for. They're not well resourced, they're tired, they're in need of guidance. New parents are wondering how to be parents. Single women are in need of care, and they've said so. Our elders and staff have been burdened for a number of years, shouldering difficulty internally. And and even though the staff and elders may be experiencing some unity, maybe the rest of our church isn't experiencing it that much or in the same way. Due to COVID and, and other factors, our parishes have maybe become more like islands with no shared land. It can feel like we've forgotten who we are a bit. Maybe depending upon your parish experience these last few years, you could have felt all of those things more acutely or keenly. But maybe if your parish has been thriving, you've been able to think or feel that the rest of the church is. Or maybe you've had the exact opposite experience. And how, how do our dilemmas provoke us to feel and think and act Maybe insecure or anxious. Maybe we pull in. Maybe we press in. Maybe we pull away. Maybe we're uncertain or fearful or sad or overwhelmed, angry or tired. Maybe even us talking about this right now provokes fear. Why would we talk about this this openly? I feel like we have to. I feel like we can. Maybe, but maybe amidst all this, maybe we, do we feel hopeful? So much has happened. It's provoked so much in us and out of us. And And definitely over these last 18 months, we've all been trying to find rest and connection and hospitality and personal, excuse me, personal spaces where we can be known and cared for. And maybe, maybe we found that. Maybe some of us have found that. Maybe some of us haven't. But goodness, haven't, haven't we wanted to find it everywhere? We've tried to find rest in moments of wonderful in, in the midst of all this chaos. And, and over the past two years in our church and in our world, festivity and life and rest have, have just been hard to have. In an effort to preserve life over the past 18 months, we've had to kind of prohibit living it. And that feels weird. What does that do to us? What has it done to us? 
We'll know later, we'll know much later what this has meant. It means something now, and it will mean something every year. And yet, in all of this chaos that I've mentioned, in all these dilemmas, they pale in comparison to what the scriptures say the Son of Man went through during his life. Some of us may feel that we're living in the middle of our greatest need right now, but if we can look to the scriptures, they tell us that Jesus lived and walked in the middle of humanity's greatest need. We may struggle with feeling overwhelmed, and yet Jesus was overwhelmed with needs that we can't imagine. There were times when he was with the Father, and they were completely in sync. The majority of his earthly life was one acquainted with grief and sorrow. He was a man who knew dilemma and difficulty and need wherever he went. I mean, even, even Jesus at his birth, he was born into a world that was politically Roman, that was culturally Greek, that was religiously Jewish. I mean, it was a world that was completely confused about itself. Does that sound familiar? He saw that the people were without a shepherd, and he was the one who, when faced with going to the cross, asked his father to let the cup pass from him because he was overwhelmed to the point of death with sorrow. He was the one who wept and was so angry over the sickness and death of a friend. And he was abandoned and isolated by his friends. He was forsaken by his father in the time of his greatest need on the cross. And he was also the one who turned death into a doorway into new life. Because Jesus, our shepherd, he is the one who turns tombs into gardens. He leads an exodus in such a way that whatever wilderness we're in, we can be sure that he will never leave us and that he will lead us to good pasture. Because his word never fails. His love never fades. His throne never crumbles. Jesus touches every dilemma, every need, every person, every situation. He is doing better to care for you than, than we are as your elders ever could. Widows, orphans, new parents, single women, the sick, hurt people on all sides of the situation, all those in greatest need. Whose side is he on? Who is he advocating for? You. You. He shepherds the sheep when there are no shepherds. He shepherds the sheep when the shepherds don't shepherd as they should. I've, I've heard it said a few times, I, I, maybe, maybe half a dozen times. I just, I just want to forget about the last 18 months. But I, 
I think we need to remember that we have had a shepherd in this valley, and we still do. Because though he was left alone on the cross, in his greatest need, he stayed on the cross in part to prove that he would not leave us during our greatest need. Sojourn, that means that we can have hope. It means that we should. We are in a particular season, but we are not alone, and we have a future. We have a king. He brings rest so that we can rest. He shows hospitality so that we might be hospitable. He brokers all of this. He is the head underwriter of rest and hospitality. And not only have we been welcomed into this rest and hospitality, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your souls. But out of that rest, we're being sent out to invite others into it just as we were, just as we are. So when we spend this morning talking about saturation and simplicity, it's very important that we know that we need, we need to experience these things before we can say that we understand these things. So in all of this, where do we, where do we experience saturation and simplicity? How, how do we do it? start throwing out ideas or, I'm kidding, sorry. It's a bad idea. I'll tell you, first, first I want you to remember that saturation and simplicity, they, they are our values. But the words I want you to associate with them are hospitality and rest. Hospitality and rest. We experience these things and do these things in the simplest of places, in the most ordinary moments. These things happen at tables and on couches and at parks and at restaurants. They happen in conversations with strangers and friends, through serving neighbors and serving people who don't have a family to call family, who don't have a home to call home. It happens in spaces of forgiveness it happens when we forgive. It happens when we're forgiven. It happens when we pray for one another and take each other's needs seriously. It, it happens when we feed and clothe and care for those who have no one to care for them. Because you see, when we, we have to see this. When we cook a meal for our neighbors and our parish, or, or a hungry person, it is an invitation to rest. That, do you know that that's what food is? <laughs> yes, it's enjoyment, but when we eat good food, we rest. <laughs> when we make good food, we welcome, we invite. When we pray for one another, when we pray for our neighbors, we welcome them in the name of God to share in the presence of God.
Deacon, you okay, buddy? Oh, sweetheart. Sweet boy. I'm sorry. When we pray for one another, we, we're, we're doing something, something miraculous is happening. We're, we're welcoming people in the name of God into the presence of God, and we're going with them. When we forgive someone, we're welcoming them and we're unburdening them so they can rest. When we speak personally with a stranger, when we ask about their lives, when we take interest in someone else's story, where they're from, how they grew up, what, what their life has been like, we're offering them rest from pretending. We're offering them a welcome of, who, <laughs> we're offering them a welcome into God's presence no matter who they are. And it's simple, and yet it's profound. It's personal, and it goes deep. And this is how we walk like Jesus. We are, we are living out of the rest and hospitality that has been afforded to us every moment by Jesus Christ through the power of his Spirit, by the will of the Father. And we're dependent upon the Spirit to work out these things and apply these things that Christ has purchased for us in his death and resurrection. All of these things are about simplicity and saturation. But it makes such a difference to know that that's what we're doing in those simple spaces, in those relational spaces, in those spaces in conversation around tables, in all different locations. When we come to this gathering every Sunday, we do so because God invites us to do so. He welcomes us. He receives our gifts. He receives the work of our hands. He forgives us. He offers us his peace. He instructs us. He feeds us. And he sends us. We eat at his table with him and with one another. And in all of these moments, all of these moments are rest and hospitality. It's at the table of God that we're learning how to set and operate and share every other table that we sit at. We're welcomed and rest at the Lord's table. And so we go and we welcome and offer rest to neighbors and strangers and one another at our parish tables. And we do the same at our own individual tables in our own individual homes. That's what saturation and simplicity look like. And by his grace, all who are welcomed and fed at our tables will be welcomed and fed at our parish tables and will be welcomed and fed at the Lord's table. From our tables to his, and I can tell you from Acts 6, I know that we can't do it alone. We need the Lord. 
We need our king. We need each other. And as we close, may I be, may I be a bit more honest? Maybe as the elders, we, we have led the body into places of unrest and a lack of hospitality. And we need to hold that responsibility. Some of you may be thinking, the only thing that's going to make it right is to get back to our original sojourn DNA. Or the, the only thing that's going to make it right is to have the proper staff dynamic. But rest and hospitality won't be found in a new staff member. Rest and hospitality won't be realized when, when there's just no more drama at Sojourn Heights. These things can only be experienced in Jesus. He is the rest. He is the welcome. Like John said in his letter, Jesus is eternal life. Nothing else is. And by his grace, much like Acts 6, we will see joy and the lightening of burdens and the increase of obedience and the care of what once was neglected. So as a multi-congregational church, in a world of angst, anxiety, and turmoil, we think the church should be visibly united in giving rest and hospitality to Houston and to the world. We believe that this is done when church planting happens because church planting is essential to the Great Commission. It's a commission that seeks to give rest through hospitality, a commission that is simplistic yet saturates our world. As neighborhood-specific congregations, we are working toward unification and reconciliation of our, of our segregated city, a city, too, that feels as fragmented these last few years. And the way that we do that is by pursuing the saturation that only hospitality can bring about, by offering a rest that can be simply experienced. That's where we're going, Sojourn. That's, that's what we want to see. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, Lord, you are creator. You are sustainer. You are our hope. You are eternal life. God, we love you and we need you. And Lord, we want to be honest about where we are, but we also want to be hopeful because we know that you are with us. We know that you care for your church. We know that you are growing us and caring for us or that you're providing for us. Lord, there is so much need. There is so much need in this room, and yet you're not overwhelmed. You know what we need. God, you're with every widow, every single woman, every new parent, every hurting person. Lord, you see it all.
and you are a shepherd who wants to shepherd. You are a king who wants to care for his people. And so we pray that you would. Lord, make us more aware of the rest and hospitality that you have provided. Jesus, show us where all these invitations to come to you are an invitation of hospitality to come and rest. To rest from the work of making a name for ourselves or making our own future. Lord, to rest from being someone that we're not. The rest of being overburdened by sin. Lord, you welcome it all. And so, God, I pray that you would, that you'd make us these kinds of people. You would care for our church. You would help us to love one another, to listen to one another, or to respond to one another. We need you. Please, please help us, we pray. We ask it in your name. Amen.